0: Hello everyone, welcome to Next Level Coaching with Rick Rass here. I'm very excited that you're here today, and I'm even more excited that you're ready to take your life to the next level. You're here for episode number three, The Biggest Lie in Sports. The title alone may be the reason you're listening. I'm not going to leave you hanging. I'll share my perspective right away and then develop a case for why I feel that way. Young student-athletes learn quickly what is important to the adults around them. I've worked with about 250 teams a year for the last 15 years. When I talk to them about the biggest lie in sports, they can always, and I mean always, fill in the blank. I've addressed this phrase to thousands of teams. I'll say, you've learned that the only time you should celebrate is if you, they fill in the blank, win, or think you're the, they fill in the blank, best. The only time you should celebrate is if you win or think you're the best. That's the biggest lie in sports. Theoretically, we should learn to celebrate on a regular basis in the practice environment, but it doesn't happen so much because of the emphasis placed on winning, being the best, or we fall into the trap of comparing ourselves with others and think there is no reason to celebrate. Even though I'm approaching this from an athletic perspective, You can apply this information to your personal fitness goals, music pursuits, your career, or even relationships. Don't get me wrong, winning is a great goal. However, it shouldn't be the main thing. The first question parents often ask when kids get home from an athletic event, did you win? How did you do? Or sometimes there's even added extrinsic motivation if they win. We'll go to the Dairy Queen or we'll go out to eat or you didn't win, maybe next time. The desire to win is fine, but often it comes way too late, on that day of the event or during the athletic event. In 1989, I started teaching and coaching in Foley, Minnesota. The volleyball team had struggled for quite a few years, but I was excited to turn the program around. I remember one match that we played against a rival. We got beat, and on the way home, some of the girls were crying. We got back to the school Before we got off the bus, I addressed what I thought was rather confusing. I said, what are you so upset about? Their response, we wanted to win. And I said, no, you didn't. They got kind of a puzzled look on their face, and I proceeded to remind them how many times during the previous two weeks I had addressed my concerns about their lack of engagement, focus, and intensity in practice. They knew exactly what I was talking about. When the time to perform comes, the time for preparation is gone. You are not going to perform any better than what you consistently demonstrate in practice. So many athletes would love to skip practice, training, or conditioning and think when they get to the match, game, race, event, it's just going to somehow magically happen. Many have strong desires to accomplish outcome goals but fail to recognize how important the process is. They may want to beat this team or that team, win sections, conference, or even a state championship, but they have no idea what level of performance they're striving for. How good do you have to be? What does it look like? High school teams typically have no problem setting outcome goals. Upon arriving at a school to work with a football team, I found the team had spent nearly an hour working on their goals for the year. As I walked around the cafeteria looking at the posters hanging on the wall, I realized that every goal written down on the charts were outcome-oriented. They wanted to win so many games, win conference, score so many points, hold their opponent to a certain number of points. However, none of the goals written were skill-specific or performance-oriented. This scenario is common. The head coach walked up to me and said, What do you think? I said, Well, there are some great outcome goals here, but how are they going to reach these goals? He then asked, What do you mean? I responded with just a couple questions. Where is the process? How are they going to reach these goals? What do they have to do to acquire these outcomes? What are the steps they need to take to reach these outcomes? Where are they at now in that process of achieving those outcomes? His response was typical as well. He said, gee, I never thought about that. If you're going to take a long trip, you're probably going to look at a road map to figure out how you're going to get there. That's the process component of goal setting. Don't be deceived into thinking that if winning isn't the main thing, athletes won't be motivated. Over the years, I've had numerous conversations with people who think like this. The issue isn't so much about winning. It's about closing the huge gap between what athletes want and what they're willing to do or what they need to do to get there. Well done is better than well said. This huge gap between the desire to win and doing what it takes, in other words improving performance, for many teams and athletes could be referred to as cognitive dissonance. I feel dissonance occurs when beliefs or desires don't match up with the actions required to achieve the goal, which is usually winning. Changing the perspective towards practice will help fill the gap and eliminate cognitive dissonance. I hope to shed some light on this dilemma and provide you with some solutions that will help you bridge the gap. If you are a coach, some of the activities I share would be helpful in challenging your own athletes since experiential learning is so powerful. There are two types of athletes in practice, and the clock on the wall tells it all. An athlete who really understands goal setting in its entirety, when they come to practice, they come to practice on a mission. They know exactly where they're at with their skills, their conditioning, their performance. They know what that next level is. They know what they're shooting for, striving for, pushing for, working for. They have a picture in their mind of what they want to perform like. And when they make a little bit of progress, when they see that they're getting better, they get excited. That excitement and enthusiasm creates momentum. Somebody in that frame of mind, they want to take the clock and throw it out the window. They don't want practice to be over because they're so fired up about taking it to the next level. But most athletes know that that isn't the case for most people in the practice environment. A lot of athletes, I'd say probably 90% of high school athletes, what are they doing? They're watching the clock, waiting for practice to be over. In other words, what they're really doing is just going through the motions, and that's one of the nastiest things in athletics. People in the practice environment going through the motions. Why does this happen so much? Number one, I think a lot of athletes just aren't engaged in the process. They're not looking for details. They're not making adjustments. That's going to be probably my next podcast, focusing on details and adjustments. The second reason so many athletes are going through the motions in practice is because they believe the biggest lie in sports. They think that the only time they should celebrate is if they win or think they're the best practice typically doesn't provide that opportunity. The key to sustaining a high level of motivation is learning to celebrate progress. My guess would be that maybe five to 10% of high school athletes develop the skill of goal setting in its entirety and learn to celebrate progress in that practice environment. This is likely because they believe the biggest lie in sports. Each year, I print between three and 4,000 t-shirts that I give away during programs in schools. In my work with athletic teams, I select from more than 150 different challenges. One challenge in which I use bowling pins and frisbees is one of my favorites, and teams have an opportunity to earn t-shirts for everybody. What I do is set up 10 bowling pins about 6 feet apart at one end of a basketball court. I ask the athletes sitting on one end of the court, How many throws do you think it will take to knock those 10 pins down? And it's always interesting because the first answer is always 10. And I'm like, 10 throws? So you're never going to miss on the first 10 shots. Then they'll say, oh, maybe 25. And somebody will say 50, and they're usually kidding. And then I'll say, well, if you can get those 10 bowling pins down in 100 throws, I'll give everybody free t-shirts. Obviously, they get pretty fired up about doing this activity. Before they start throwing, I give them an opportunity to share strategies or techniques regarding transfer of weight, your grip, keeping the frisbee level, etc. If, for example, I'm working with a team that has 25 athletes, each of those athletes would have four frisbees. When they start throwing, you can imagine how fired up they get when they hit one of those bowling pins. Maybe after the first round, if they get six or seven down, I'll ask them, okay, if this isn't for t-shirts now, do you still want to go for those last four or five pins? They'll always say yes. So they run down to the court, retrieve their frisbees, come running back. Next round, maybe they get one or two down. And I'll say, okay, do you still want to go for those last two or three? Yes. They run down, back and forth, get those frisbees and come back and throw again. The longest I've ever had anybody go on this particular challenge was 1,500 throws to get 10 pins down, but they were so fired up about getting that last pin down. Every time somebody hit one of the pins at any point, there's that celebration. When they hit the last pin down, they're pretty fired up, and they collect all the frisbees and run back, put them in the bag that I have. Then I follow up with several questions. Question number one, I'll say, was that fun? And they're like, yes. Question number two, how much fun would have that been if there would have been no bowling pins on the other end of the court? They get this puzzled look on their face and they're like, that wouldn't have been fun at all. And then I'll say, well, how would you describe that? And the words that come up the most are boring and pointless. Boring and pointless. And that's when I tell them, okay, that's exactly what happens to so many people in the practice environment when they don't have those targets that they're shooting for those small, skill-specific, detailed-oriented targets that they're striving to hit in practice. Really, theoretically, we should be having those yes moments all the time in practice where you hit those targets, where you realize that you're getting a little bit better. That just doesn't happen. But when it happens, you can imagine that if you're in that frame of mind Striving to hit those performance goals, you can be certain that the level of enthusiasm, determination, focus, intensity is much higher than somebody who's just going through the motions, and you'll surprise yourself with what you can do. One of my favorite quotes, Thomas Edison said, if everybody did what they were capable of doing, we would literally astound ourselves. I said in my first podcast, really what that means is you blow yourself away if you found out what you can do. I do an activity called popcorn with teams to demonstrate the excitement created from outdoing what you've done before and celebrating progress. I'll give a more detailed description of this activity for those who may want to try this with their own team. I have a large container of about 50 wiffle balls in it. I have the group line up behind a line about 30 to 45 feet away from a wall. I tell them I'm going to take these balls and I'm going to dump them out towards the wall. Then I'm gonna time you to see how fast you can get all the balls back into this container. The container stays right here, right next to the line. I dump up the balls, you run over. You can pick up one or two or three balls if they're right next to each other, but you can't pick up one ball and run over and get another ball because the main rule of this activity is you cannot move with the ball. You can pick up the ball and get rid of it, but you cannot move with it. So it's not everybody run over to the wall, pick up the balls and run back with the balls. You have to get them from the wall back into the container without moving with a ball. Then without any time for them to talk strategy, I dump the balls out and start my timer. There's balls flying all over the place the first round, and it often takes between one and two minutes to finish. When I read off my stopwatch, it doesn't take long for somebody to say, we can do better than that, and I'll say, okay, well, let me know when you're ready. With some of that strategizing, it's not uncommon for them to cut their time in half. When I tell them their second time, usually somebody will say, we can do better than that. And I'll say, okay, well, if you want another opportunity, I'll give you some time to talk strategy. And I'm going to ask you a few questions and you can consider these questions hints. Question number one, what's the best way to pour oil into a container? They know it's a funnel. Question number two, how many times do you want to handle each of those balls? And they usually say one, but I'll say, okay, if it's just once, you'll have to pick up a ball from the wall, throw it, and make it into the bucket. Now, two. Okay, last question. How long does it take to roll the balls from the wall to the bucket? And usually somebody will say a few seconds, and I'll say, that's exactly right. Let me know when you're ready. After four, or five, or six times, I can typically tell if the level of enthusiasm is dropping a little bit. So I'll say, okay, if this is the last time we're going to do this, What would that do for your level of motivation? The typical response would be, we're going to go harder. We're going to go faster. And I usually say, well, that's kind of confusing. Does that mean that the last four, five, six times that we've done this, you haven't been going your hardest? No. Well, how can you go harder if you've already been going your hardest? They get that look on their face. They know I got them on a trick question. I'll tell them, the bottom line, you got to figure out what's going to get you to give everything you've got, not some of the time, part of the time, but all the time. Athletes usually want to know what the record is, and unfortunately, this one, there isn't really a record because there's too many variables. The number of people, the distance between the line and the wall, the type of floor surface, the the wall, if it has a border on the bottom, the balls aren't going to bounce off as much. So there's a lot of factors that play into it. It's hard to believe how pumped up a group of high school or college athletes can get about doing something like this, cleaning up the gym. The most impressive time I've ever done this? I was working with a college men's basketball team on one occasion and threw the balls out for them 18 times. The athletes would not give up. It was the last activity I did with them that night. I wasn't going anywhere. They lived on campus. I didn't have to worry about them getting rides. As soon as I mentioned the time, they would say, again, again. After each attempt, they discussed the details of their strategy and were so fired up about doing it faster. After five or six times, somebody asked, what's the record? I said, does it matter? And they said, yes. So what if the record was 23.7, their last score? Would you be satisfied with that? No. Why not? I said, because we know we could do it better. So does it matter what their record is? No, they said. I loved it. Every time they got a little bit better, there was a major celebration. They'd jump up, grab the rim, hang like monkeys from the rim, their chest-butting each other, running around in circles. They were so jacked up. I told the coach that they are going to have a season beyond his expectations. He had already mentioned to me that it was a rebuilding year for them. They had lost four starters from the previous season. The rest of the story, that same team ended up winning a national championship in their division. First time from that university to have a national champion. I wasn't surprised at all because of their persistence and determination to find a better way. They were never satisfied with where they're at. If you're an athlete, how persistent and determined are you to take your performance to that next level? You can be sure of one thing. It's not going to happen by accident. I started coaching pretty early. My first official coaching job was during my freshman year in college in which I coached the junior high volleyball team in the Ricori School District in Cold Spring, Minnesota, 1979. I'll never forget a road trip to Little Falls. We lost to them, but after the match, it was my team that was celebrating. They ran out of the gym to the bus so excited, while the other team that had just beaten them stood there perplexed. Their expression said it all. We won? What are they so excited about? My athletes knew I didn't care as much about a win as I did about the execution of skills and the number of times they were able to produce a pass, set, and a spike combination. They were thrilled about getting better, learning to control the ball, and they had shattered their previous record for that combination of contacts. On the ride home, they certainly didn't feel defeated. Those of you who are older may have watched Wild World of Sports when you were growing up, Anyone my age or older can probably fill in the blank from the following introductory segment from the Wild World of Sports broadcast. The thrill of and the agony of the thrill of victory and the agony of defeat. Our society paints such a dismal picture of losing. The No Fear brand t-shirts years ago said second place is the first loser. There's a huge difference between the pursuit of excellence and the pursuit of winning. Taking it to the next level and learning to celebrate progress isn't much different than the phrase pursuit of excellence. There isn't a clear-cut distinction between the pursuit of excellence and the pursuit of winning, but there are some blaring differences. The first, and maybe the most disappointing, I've seen the pursuit of winning suck the fun right out of the sport that someone used to love pursuit of excellence brings fun in practice and competitions to another level. For so many, losing is such a great source of discouragement and the pressure they feel during a competition and the feeling after a loss isn't very much fun. I tell my elementary students all the time, if you're more concerned about winning the game than you are about learning the game and having fun, something is wrong. I also tell them, the better you get, the more fun it is. The more fun it is, the more you want to do it. The more you do it, the better you get. The cycle goes on. The pursuit of winning often leaves you hanging your head over mistakes, while the pursuit of excellence allows you to learn from the experience. The pursuit of winning may inhibit what you learn, while the pursuit of excellence is the ticket to learning. Someone pursuing excellence utilizes the information gained from making a mistake, and it is helpful in taking it to the next level. They don't see mistakes in such a negative way. Most of us have heard the phrase, sometimes you win, sometimes you lose. A much better perspective would be, sometimes you win, sometimes you learn. When the desire to win is so strong, it creates the fear of losing, which may be one of the greatest inhibitors of performance. The pursuit of excellence releases athletes from the fear factor and the negative impact fear has on performance. An athlete who really understands this can remain calm and cool in those pressure situations. They have a blast showing what they can do. It would be easy to get off track here. I will be devoting an entire podcast to the fear factor in sports and how it inhibits performance at any level. I also devoted a chapter in my book, Take It to the Next Level, Finding the Keys to a Higher Level of Performance, to fear. A volleyball coach once called me in midseason. I had worked with his team in preseason for several years. He mentioned that their theme for the year was Pursuit of Excellence. I had emphasized that mindset over the pursuit of winning during training sessions with his athletes. When we strive for excellence, we'll do the little things that will help us take it to the next level. He said that the girls really picked up on the theme, Pursuit of Excellence. His athletes didn't seem concerned about winning anymore. Instead, they were more concerned about how they were playing, their level of performance from a skill standpoint. That was the beginning of the story. I hesitate to share the rest of the story since I fear that point may be lost. In my mind, the emphasis on the process was the key in producing the results. His team ended up winning the state championship that year, the next year, and the next When we pursue excellence, we free ourselves to perform at the level we are capable of because the grip of fear doesn't hold us down. Plus, when you're in right mindset and practice, you get so much more out of practice. Five minutes of focused practice is better than an hour and a half of going through the motions. Speaking of five minutes, years ago in Foley, Minnesota, where I teach, I started a program for my third graders called the 5-Minute Challenge. The purpose was to teach the students more about celebrating progress and not believing the biggest lie in sports. The students were instructed to find something they enjoyed doing and practice at least five minutes a day to see how good they could get. Around March of that year, I received a call from a father of one of my students. He asked what was up with the five minute challenge. I explained the challenge briefly and shared my intentions for the students to develop the skill of goal setting. Then I asked why. He said Logan, his son, got off the bus every day and practiced two to three hours on a series of different activities. He said that it had developed into a problem because they couldn't get him to stop practicing. I thought it was awesome. I even asked him, would you rather have Logan come home from school and watch TV for several hours? He said, good point. I agreed since I had recently read that Americans spend nine years of their lives watching TV. What Logan was able to do was impressive for a third grader. He learned how to spin a basketball on each of his fingers on both hands. He also learned how to juggle four balls. He could walk across the gym on his hands and drop into the splits. The best part wasn't so much what he could do. It was a big smile on his face. He was so excited about getting better. He wasn't competing against anyone. He wasn't trying to earn or win anything. He would stop in before school on a regular basis to show me his progress, For Logan, it was all about getting better, pushing, striving, and working for the next level of performance. Old Country Buffet used to be a sponsor before closing, and it was definitely one of my favorite places to chow. Those who know me well know I like to eat. On one occasion, a man approached our table when I was there with my family and said, Rick. You would not remember me at all since I was just in the crowd when you were doing a keynote presentation for Hilliard Cleaning Supplies at a big conference three years ago. He talked about my message from a corporate standpoint for a bit, but then proceeded to share how my story about the 5-Minute Challenge changed his life personally. He had lost over a 100 pounds since that time and had kept it off since then. He got pretty emotional sharing his story and so did I. It was powerful. The moral of the story... Start small, work on the little things and celebrate progress. You'll never know where it takes you. It's amazing what five minutes can do. You start celebrating progress at five minutes usually turns into more. I like to tell people, take a little post-it or stick it note and stick it on your bedroom or bathroom mirror just to remind yourself to commit to that five minutes every day. I played volleyball for 34 years. As I mentioned in my first podcast, For 20 of those years, I played by myself against teams of six and used that format to share a drug-free, motivational message in school assemblies. I never went into it, concerned about winning and losing, but constantly striving to take my performance to another level. At 52, I stopped playing because of some issues with my right elbow, probably from hitting too many curveballs while jump-serving. However, when I turned 50... I wanted to pick up another sport to challenge myself to take it to the next level in another sport. When I saw freestyle kayaking, I knew it was the right fit. I'm 60 now and very fired up about making progress. You can search my name on YouTube to find out what freestyle is all about. I've used the phrase pursuit of excellence a great deal during this podcast. Taking it to the next level, celebrating progress, and that pursuit of excellence are like one and the same thing. An athlete who has learned to celebrate progress doesn't want to stop practicing because they're so pumped about taking their skills, abilities, and their performance to that next level. If I would be comparing myself to the best in the world at my age kayaking and not celebrating progress, I would have been done many years ago. Outcome-based goals may provide some motivation for a short time, but over the long haul, it takes a lot more to sustain motivation. Short-term process-oriented goals establish the momentum on a day-to-day basis in practice or even in the off-season for conditioning. Process-based goal setting is a master key that opens up the door to a high level of performance. I will get into process-oriented goals in one of my next podcasts about paying attention to detail and making adjustments. I'd like to extend a special thanks to Dan with O'Connor Wealth Management for his part in sponsoring this podcast. Thanks, Dan. I hope you have been encouraged and challenged through this podcast. I'd love to hear from you about how you're going to apply this information. I trust that what I have shared brings your game and your life to another level. Have a great day and thanks for listening.